Well, thank you for having me tonight. I always love ministering to our Lorraine campus. It's a privilege and an honor. Um, some of you watched me grow up. Some of you watched my kids grow up. And it's just always a blessing and very humbling to be able to speak to you. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that it's so good. It's so good in our lives. And I just pray, Father, tonight that you would teach us in your word, let it transform our lives, our hearts, our minds, our emotions. God, let it be just a manifest power in our lives today so that we can be the light of the world that you called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I'm excited tonight um, to talk about spiritual growth. Um, this is something that I've been passionate about, and I believe that we are in an accelerated, a season of accelerated growth. Do you feel that? Do you feel that in your heart and see it and sense it? Like there's just an acceleration. There's a demand on our spiritual growth. And Holy Spirit is stirring up hearts and minds and um, dreams and visions. Some of you have seen, some of you have heard the prophetic, you know, happening that there is um, a revival coming. Anybody heard that? There's a revival coming. Anybody believe that? Amen. We know that's happening. And if there is a revival coming, it requires every single one of us in this room to be spiritually mature. Amen? Because if there's a revival coming, these seats will be full of people that are brand new babies in Christ. And all of us here, everybody raise your hand for me. All of us here become spiritual parents. Think about that. Have you thought of yourself as a spiritual mother or father? If you haven't yet, you need to think of yourself that way and allow the Holy Spirit to do an accelerated growth in your heart, in your mind. We are preparing for Christ-likeness, right? Christ-likeness is what each one of us have been called to. When we prayed that prayer, that was not the finish line to get to heaven. That was your starting point. That was the, the, the gun that went off and said, okay, go. <laughs> now you are running a race. And that race is your growth, your maturity in Christ Jesus, your Christ-likeness journey. And so we're going to talk about that tonight because there is a preparation that's happening in the church right now. And it is for the return of Christ. But before Christ returns, there is going to be a massive revival on earth. And that is going to require all of us to be ready to steward that well. Spiritual growth is not optional. It's not optional. That's a gospel. If you think it's optional, that's a gospel that you have been told that is wrong. Jesus says repent, right? He's saying, when he says repent, he's saying change your thinking. What you thought you knew, change it, right? That gospel is not right. 
Jesus doesn't save us to allow us to stay the same, to struggle with the same stuff over and over again, year after year, right? The same grumpiness, the same frustrations, the same habits. No, he saves us so that we grow. We become like him. And it's not optional. We don't have a choice and say, okay, well, I'm not going to grow today. I don't feel like it. We don't have a choice. Jesus demands growth, and it's part of being a Christian. It's part of being a disciple. We are all disciples in here. For some reason, I think the American church, probably more than any other church in, on the face of the earth, has, has, has kind of under the radar or kind of like a subliminally told us that you can be a Christian without being a disciple. You can't. If you're a Christian, you are a disciple. It's a requirement. And so we have to grow as disciples of Jesus. Um, do you remember getting ready to have your first kid? Did you take classes? You did? I didn't take a class. It didn't work. I remember after having my son Dominic, who was here last week, and he's, he's amazing. He's 30 years old. I'm old. I know it. But I remember having him in the hospital thinking, they're just going to give him to me? Like, I'm taking him home by myself? Like, there's nobody that's going to watch me, how much sleep I'm giving him, how much food I'm giving him. Like, there wasn't even Google really then, right? Like, I, I had no idea what I was doing. Thank God, right, for family and just um, the love of aunts and grandparents and, and mothers and fathers that can help with those, with those children. But, but nobody told us, right, how to raise our kid. But... We will be responsible for a generation running to Christ. You, point to yourself, you will be responsible for a generation running to Jesus. Are you ready? Are you ready? Because it's time. It's a matter of weeks, guys. Have you been watching the news? Okay, not our news, because our news is just a bunch of political garbage. Amen. <laughs> Go on Telegram and follow Amir Safari. Anybody follow him on Telegram? Amir Safari has the real news. He'll tell you what's going on in Israel. Because guess what? The book of Revelation is not about America. It's not. It's about Israel. It's about God's people and everything surrounding that. So that when we want to know what's happening in the end times, guess what? We look at Israel. We look at what's happening in that area of the world. And do you know what's happening in that area of the world? Earthquakes. Thousands and thousands of people right now are being rescued from the rubble in Turkey. There are, were two earthquakes in Israel today. Not major ones, but the earth is shifting. The earth is groaning. And we need to get prepared because the birth pains are starting. We don't have time to be lazy anymore. We don't have time to sit back and go, oh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll grow a little bit. Maybe I'll read my Bible a little bit more. No, it's time to grow up. It's time to mature in Christ. We have got to be ready for these kids that we're taking home. <laughs> We've got to be ready to love them, 
because they're coming dirty, right? They're coming messed up. They're coming broken. We have to be ready to love them. We have to be ready to disciple them. We have to be ready to foster their transformation in Christ. In Philippians 2, and I have a lot of scripture verse today, but you're okay with that, right? Because we're here to learn about the Bible. So just bear with me. I'm going to try to go fast. In Philippians 2, 12 through 15, it says, So then, my dear ones, just as you have always obeyed my instruction with enthusiasm, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. So Paul is talking to the church at Philippi, and he is in prison, and he has got this urgency in his letter because he believed that Jesus was coming back at any minute. And now more than ever, we can be assured that Jesus is coming back in any minute. And he said, continue to work out your salvation and that is cultivate it, bring it to full effect, actively pursuing what? Spiritual maturity with all inspired fear and trembling. And we don't do fear and trembling very well, do we? Think about it. I think we could use a little bit more fear and trembling. <laughs> Fear and trembling, using serious caution and critical self-evaluation to avoid anything that might offend God or discredit the name of Christ. There is so much in that scripture verse. Write down this so you can go back and meditate on it. Philippians 2, 12 through 15. Paul is saying, take a look inside into the deep places and criticize yourself. Make sure you line up to God's standard for your life in fear and trembling. Like we have a responsibility to grow and spiritually mature in Christ. For it is not your strength, but it is God who is effectively at work in you, both to will and to work that is strengthening, energizing, and creating in you the longing and the ability to fulfill your purpose. God's doing something on the inside of us. He's doing something on the inside of us. He wants his purpose fulfilled in our life. It's because it's for his good pleasure. Verse 14, do everything without murmuring or questioning the providence of God so that you may prove yourself to be blameless and guileless innocent and uncontaminated, children of God without blemish in the midst of a morally crooked and spiritually perverted generation, among whom you are seen as bright lights. We are bright lights when we walk out of this building. When we walk into our homes, when we walk into our workplaces, when we walk into Walmart, we should be shining like the sun. Because we allowed God's perfect work to be done in us. It's nothing we've done, right? It's because of his supernatural work in us that is maturing us. We're beacons shining out clearly in the world of darkness. So we see this urgent message of Paul to the church 
urging them to mature in Christ Jesus, be transformed into perfect love, to be the lighthouse to the world of darkness. We have had this beautiful prophetic word. You would mention the springs under Avon Lake campus. We've had that same word here in, L- in Lorraine and the picture and the word of the lighthouse standing as so that people in the darkness can come see and be, be responsive to the love of Jesus, right? But guess what? You are the lighthouse. You are the light. You are the city on the hill. And we are required to be transformed into that light and into that love, fully mature. That scripture verse says, work out your salvation. That is to cultivate it, bring it into full effect, actively mature, actively pursuing that spiritual maturity. I didn't bring my water up here. Adrian, do you mind? I'm sorry. Last time I waited too long at the women's conference and I ended up choking everywhere. So I need a drink. Thank you. Then he gave them an out. This was very nice of Paul. He said, it is God that will do it. Aren't you glad that you're not responsible for your maturity? A hundred percent. Like you have work to do and we're going to get to that. Like we actually have to do things, but we're not responsible for it. Jesus does it. Holy Spirit does it. We partner with him. That's such good news. (laughs) He said that you need to be pursuing the transformation so that you may prove yourself to be blameless and guileless. Right? So we are to pursue Christ-likeness. Look at somebody and say, pursue Christ-likeness. I know I used to hate that when preachers did that. I was like, I don't want to talk to anybody. But I do that because I want you to get it into your mind and say it out loud and hear it with your ears that we are to pursue Christ-likeness. We are to be like Jesus. There's no other option. We can't be ourselves. We can't lay and, and just say, you know what, I'm tired today. I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to be grumpy. I'm just going to be depressed. I'm just going to be anxious. No, we don't have a choice. It is time to mature. Right? It is time to grow up and put on our Christ-likeness. <laughs> we don't have much time left. Romans 13, 14, it says, But clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision. How much provision? None for the flesh. Nor even think about gratifying the flesh in regards to its improper desires. We put on Christ every morning. Every morning, it should be the first thing on our minds. We put on Christ. The voice version, I love this, it says, instead, wrap yourselves in the Lord Jesus, God's anointed, and do not fuel your sinful imagination by indulging your self-seeking desire for the pleasures of flesh. Man, Paul was like no joke, right? He did not, he did not sugarcoat anything. He said, wrap yourself in Jesus. So how do we do this? Now, one way... And I love this way, I'm going to share it with you, is that it, it's a, like a little triangle and they have a picture of it. It's got three parts. One way, it's a, I call it the triangle of spiritual growth. We're going to look at the screen. Do you have that screen? It is? Oh, cool. So you can see that there's three things that can help us in our Christ-likeness. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. The first thing is trials and temptations. Don't you love them? Don't we love tests, trials, and temptations? So much fun, right? Ugh. 
it's rough. I'm telling you, it's rough. Right when you get done with one, here comes another one. It's like, come on, I've been through enough these past couple years. I need a year free of trials and temptations, please. Like no more, no more hard hits, right? Anybody feel that? Like I'm done with the hard hits. Can I have a flat tire or something? Right? I can handle a flat tire. <laughs> I'm not saying it for you, Miss Kathy. I'm saying I could handle that. I don't want the big ones anymore, right? <laughs> but sometimes we have small annoyances, right? Like, like the flat tire. Or sometimes we have life-shaking events. And I'm not, I'm not belittling those. Because those are hard. Those are difficult. And sometimes they knock the breath out of you, right? But it's what we do with these, whether they're small or they're huge. It's what, what, what we do with them that matters. How do we handle our, our trials, our tests, and our temptations? But first, before we talk about that, we have to deal with our theology. So theology, it's a big word, but it just basically means your understanding of God. Okay, so all of us have a theology, whether we know it or not, whether we got it from a school or we got it from Sunday school or we got it from a um, seminary. It doesn't matter. You have a theology. You have an understanding of who God is. And trials, temptations, suffering, tests, they come with a theology. And if we don't have correct thinking about our trials and our tests and our temptations, guess what? We're not going to get through them well. We won't get through them well. So it's important to understand theology behind trials and temptations. Does God send them? Hmm? It's hard, right? Right? Does he use them? Does he allow them? These are all questions that we should start talking about. Because we have the tests, we have the trials, we have the temptations, and how we get through them matters because it is key to our Christ-likeness, to our spiritual maturity, how we handle the tests and the temptations in our lives. First thing we need to do is we've got to get rid of the victim mentality, and I know I'm going to ruffle some feathers, and I'm sorry, but I need to do it. So, we have to stop being so focused on the devil. During our trials, during our temptations, during our tests, quit looking at the devil. Yeah, he's a jerk, right? Yeah, he's going to try to hurt you and kill you and steal from you and destroy you. But guess what? Your eyes have to be focused on Jesus because he's good. Right? And he's got a way out. And in, on the way out, you are maturing. You are strengthening. You are becoming a fortified presence in God's kingdom. And when we keep our eyes on Jesus during that trial, man, it's going to have its perfect work in us. Amen? So that's the theology that we have to have. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trials, you will have trouble, you will have distress, and you will have suffering, but take heart, finish it. I have overcome the world. And that's what we focus on. But we have a gospel of wrong thinking. Everything is supposed to be good and perfect, but he never promised us that. 
He never promised that you would have a perfect life. So we need to, again, grow up and be okay with it, right? James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it nothing but joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you fall into various trials. Be assured that the testing of your faith through experience produces endurance, leading to spiritual maturity and inner peace. Man, it's the way we handle that test. It's the way we handle that trial. We can be spiritually mature through our testing and through our trials if we allow Holy Spirit to get involved, right? Let's keep reading. It says, It keeps changing up there. There it goes. And let endurance have its perfect result and do a thorough work so that we may be perfect and completely developed in your faith, lacking nothing. You want to be perfect? Go through a trial with your eyes on Jesus. You want to go be perfect? Go through your trial and trust him and hold on to him with all of your strength. And let him do in you what is required to get through that trial spiritually mature. Amen? Trials are opportunities for spiritual growth. You know, James is the one that said this, and he was the brother of Jesus. And even though when Jesus is first in the beginning of his ministry, he had his doubts. You know, he, his mother and brothers, they were like, Who, what is he doing? What what is going on right now, right? So he had his doubts, but do you know that James was so assured by the time he saw his own brother die on the cross? He was so sure. They called him, I think it was camel knees, because historically he had he he would be on his knees praying for the for the Jewish people to accept Jesus as Messiah. That he they said his knees were like camel's skin. And you know, James was, was stoned, and as he was being stoned, he was on his knees praying for the people that were throwing rocks at him. And they got so mad at him that they said, stop praying for us. And they picked up a club and they hit him in the head. Talk about, talk about having joy in trial, right? Like, wow. James was practicing what he was preaching, <laughs> So we ask ourselves, how do I handle trouble? Am I encouraged in my trials? Do I consider it pure joy? Do I let it produce endurance in me? Or do I see trouble, or do I see trouble as an opportunity for development? Do I go, wow, I see a trial coming, and all right, let's go, come on, I got this. Do we? Probably not, I know I don't. I'm like, no, I don't wanna do this again. My heart's still healing from the last one, right? But man, you've got a hill. I used to do this. I used to go bike riding or, I don't know, running or try to run or rollerblading at Baroque. And every time I'd go up that hill, I'm like, this is an opportunity for growth. I'm going to go all the way up this hill. (laughs) It's just a funny joke because I've fallen so many times on my rollerblades or on my bike. i got to wear a helmet now this year. Anyways. But when we have a trial, we need to look at it as an opportunity to create Christ-likeness in us. In Romans 5, 3, and 5, Paul says, And not only this, but with joy, 
let us exalt in our sufferings and rejoice in our hardships, knowing that hardship, distress, pressure, and trouble produces patient endurance. And patient endurance, proven character, the character of Christ. That's the spiritual maturity, proven character, hope, confident assurance of eternal salvation. In verse 5, such hope in God's promise never disappoints us because God's love has been abundantly poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So it's how we respond that produces the character of Christ in us. The word is produces. What is your trial producing? Quiet trust or anxiety? Is it producing patience or the need to control, right? Is it producing praise? I can praise you, Jesus, in this storm, or are you complaining? Is it producing prayer for your enemies, or are you gossiping? What is your trial producing? Look at the last verse, and this is so encouraging, guys. It's only through God's love through the Holy Spirit, that we are even able to respond to trials the right way. We can't produce our own Christ-likeness in our life. It's a gift, but it takes our engagement. It takes our ability to respond the right way and allow God to do the work in us. The second thing, if you go back to that triangle, is planned discipline to put on a new heart. And it's got those, that little barbell there. Plan discipline to put on a new heart. Colossians 3 is a chapter that I've been meditating on, and I would encourage you to read it every day. I know, I said every day. I'm going to try to memorize it this year, and I've gotten like two verses down. <laughs> so my memorization skills are kind of lacking. But it's okay, because meditation is just as good. So if you read this chapter, it will help produce this Christ-likeness in you. But we're going to read verses 12 through 17. Again, a lot of scripture verse, but it's very important. Um, so, so as God's own chosen people who are holy, set apart, sanctified for his purpose, and well-being by God himself, now, I know you probably don't have a Bible and you probably don't have, like, something to circle, but just circle it in your mind. Circle, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, which has the power to endure whatever injustice or unpleasantness comes. This is key. With good temper, right? Because <laughs> you can endure everything with a grouchy heart, right? But with good temper, you've got a real smile on your face, not that fake one. Yeah, that's some real spiritual maturity. Verse 13, bearing, circle bearing, graciously with one another and willingly forgiving each other if one has a cause for complaint against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you. So should you forgive. 14, beyond all these things, circle, put on. And wrap yourself in unselfish love, which is the perfect bond of unity. For everything is bound together in agreement when each one seeks the best for others. I love other-centeredness. 
Verse 15, let. That's an adverb. I had, to, I had to double check with Adrian. That's an adverb, right? We are active here, just like the put on. Let the peace of Christ, the inner calm of one who walks daily with him, be the controlling factor in your hearts, deciding and settling questions that arise. To this peace, indeed, you were called as members in one body of believers. And be thankful to God always. 16, let the spoken word of Christ have its home within you. Even this takes discipline, takes reading, takes memorizing the Bible. It, to have the spoken word of Christ have its home within us. He didn't say just read your Bible. He said let it have its home there. Like, this is where God's word is, right here, right? It's, it's in my heart. It's just not in my eyes or, you know what I mean, like reading our Bible. Like, we have meditated on it. We have hidden it in our hearts. It's at home here, dwelling in our heart and mind, permeating every aspect of your being. As you teach spiritual things and admonish and train one another with all wisdom, there's your purple book. Those of you guys that don't know, I'm on this purple book kick right now. It's just a small little book that takes people through discipleship. I mean, you can have any tool that you want. I know Nick has a great tool for guys. Like, there's so many tools, but get a discipleship tool and start discipling one another. Right? Just start. God will send you the people. But it says right here, admonish and train one another with all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. We worship. We worship, we lift our hands, we sing. We have, we have so many beautiful worship leaders at Church on the North Coast. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you so much for what you do. You bring us into the presence of God. We are able to worship. It's all discipline in our lives. Whatever you do, no matter what it is, in word or deed, do, circle it, everything in the name of Jesus and in dependence on him, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So this again, just like trials, Holy Spirit helps us through trials, Holy Spirit helps us be disciplined. Holy Spirit helps us do and put on and do all these things that Jesus tells us to do. There's a lot of action in these verses. Unfortunately, the grace message has pushed us into spiritual comas where we think we don't have to do anything. That's not true, guys. The grace message says that salvation was free. But guess what? After that, we do things for the Lord. Grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. I love that quote right now, and I'm living by it every day because it reminds me I have to actually do something to serve Christ. I don't just... Okay, I have grace, I have grace, I have grace. So I can still cuss and kick the dog and, you know, do whatever else. No, you can't. We've got to do Christ-likeness. We don't earn our salvation, but we are required to put on the new creation, the new heart, this new life that we've received from Christ Jesus. And this looks like something. It's the purpose and the practice of Christ-likeness. They are compassion, their kindness, their humility, their gentleness, their love and peace, meditation, worship, pr purpose, and practice. Discipline actually means, and this is the actual definition from, I don't know, Google. It says, training expected to produce a specific character or pattern of behavior. 
especially training that produces moral or mental improvement. So discipline is training. We discipline our lives. We discipline ourselves. We put on ourselves through the training of these things in Colossians 3. So we set up times to work on it. We set up times in our life to actually practice compassion, to practice kindness, to practice humility. We set ourselves up. We like go to the gym. We go to the Christ-likeness gym. Right? So that when we're caught off guard, guess what? We act like Christ. When we're stuck in a situation where we haven't, we haven't like purposefully gotten here, maybe somebody cusses you out or cuts you off, guess what? We've practiced this before. We can act like Jesus. Isn't that so cool? So, so there's like purpose in this. You know, a couple weeks ago, I, I just felt Olivia was with us. She's our daughter. She's 21. She goes to Kent State. But every once in a while, we can get her to come home. <laughs> and we were hanging out, and I just felt like I wanted to just make up for um, some of, sometimes we have um, people that don't get, can't make it to the Love Center, or we can't make it to, or they, we don't have enough food. I don't think that happens very much anymore, but... But I asked Miss Kathy, I said, can you call me? And if there's anything we can do, me and Olivia want to purposefully go get groceries and, and practice compassion and take food to somebody. Now, it's not a good deed, guys. It's not. I, I mean, anybody could have gotten her groceries. You know what I mean? Like, there's so many things. It was, for me and Olivia, practicing compassion. It was taking a couple hours out of our day going and picking out groceries, and taking them to somebody that didn't have a car. It's the discipline of practicing compassion in our life. And that's what we do. That's what it looks like. We do it on purpose. We do it with our kids. We do it as a couple. We do it whatever God or the Holy Spirit tells you to do. It's not hard, but we have to be responsive, and we have to actually put it into practice. We are training for Christlikeness. So what is your training plan? I'm asking you that. What is your training plan, right? Is it just coming to church once and twice a week? Because that won't bring you to maturity. That's not going to make Christ-likeness happen when you're pressed out there. It's not. You have to put a training plan into place. You have to be disciplined. Like me, just going to the gym on Mondays is not going to create muscles, right? That's, my, that's, that's pretty much my pattern right now. You know, anybody know Hardy? Hardy and Tamora, they, they're usually in the, um, the Valley View campus, but Hardy is so disciplined. I don't know how old he is, but he's, he's one of our elders. He is there every day, every single day. Johnny, where are you? You too. Johnny too. There all the time, working out at the Y, faithful, disciplined, and I show up there once a week. And I think I'm going to do much. I can't do much with once a week right? It's the training plan that has to be put into place to actually create something that I want in my life. It's the discipline. Where am I? I'm just talking too much. Okay, so we need a plan for spiritual growth, and I'm going to go fast now. In 2 Peter 1, 5 through 10, it says, for this very reason, and Peter was not nice to us either in this in this whole 
scripture portion. It says, for this very reason, applying your diligence to the divine promise, make every effort, there's that word effort, in exercising your faith to develop moral excellence. And in moral excellence, knowledge, insight, understanding. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, steadfastness. And in your steadfastness, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly affection. And in your brotherly affection, develop Christian love. That is, learn to unselfishly seek the best for others and do things for their benefit. He said, have other-centered action. And like I said before, not as good deeds, but as discipline in Christlikeness. Number, or verse 8, for these qualities are yours and are increasing in you as you go, grow towards spiritual maturity. Aren't these amazing verses? Like, when we apply these things in our life, we are on our way. We are actively pursuing spiritual maturity. And that's why it's so important to actually schedule them into our calendar <laughs> and make opportunities for them in our lives. For as these qualities are yours, are increasing in you, they will keep you from being useless and unproductive. That's crazy. Can you imagine that we can, as Christians, be useless and unproductive? Oh, Lord Jesus, help me, right? I don't want to be useless and unproductive. Like, what are we doing? What are we doing with this life if we're not growing spiritually, if we're not spiritually maturing? What are we doing? Like, we cannot afford right now in this time of history to be useless and unproductive, we have to grow in the true knowledge and the greater understanding of our Lord Jesus Christ. It says, for whoever lacks these qualities is blind, short-sighted, closing his spiritual eyes to the truth, having become oblivious to the fact that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, believers, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. Be sure that your behavior reflects and confirms your relationship with God. For by doing these things, actively develop these virtues. You will never stumble in your spiritual growth and will live a life that leads others away from sin. Wow! That verse is serious fire, guys. Like, we have no choice but to be disciplined in our spiritual growth. We have a responsibility to grow in Christ-likeness. A few that he has me working on, and they change probably every couple weeks because he keeps just adding them. And I'm like, okay, I'll try. But memorization, right? Even though I'm really bad at it, I see it transforming my life. I have these little three-by-five five cards, and I try to recite them, and I'm not doing that great, but it's changing me. <laughs> Minimal living. I know that doesn't seem like a spiritual discipline, but for me, it's a spiritual discipline. And a lot of different things will be for you. You just ask the Holy Spirit. He can make anything a spiritual discipline. He can, he can make not eating chocolate a spiritual discipline for you, right? Holy Spirit has a way of like making it ours uniquely. But minimal living, even though it hurts my pride, me and Adrian were talking about like cream is like from, it went from like $2 to $6 for a little pint. We're like, we're drinking black coffee. Because $6 can buy a purple book, right? 
And I'm not saying legalist, like, trust me, it's not legalism. Holy Spirit is only telling me this. <laughs> but we're, we're deciding. We would rather, right, spend our money, our resources, our time, because that's what it is. You work for money. You work, you know, you pay time for the money you get for God's kingdom. So whatever it is, minimal living is fear. Changing my hairstyle. Oh, my gosh. He will work your pride, right? <laughs> Giving, getting out of debt, all of these things creates Christ-likeness in us. So ask Holy Spirit. Um, finally, the last thing in the triangle, and I'm going to try to hurry up with this part, is the action of the Holy Spirit. And this really ties into both of them at the bottom. Because you can't be disciplined without the Holy Spirit. And you can't make it through a trial without the Holy Spirit, right? So we need the Holy Spirit. We can't do Christ-likeness of our own will, power, or discipline. We know that it only turns into what? Self-righteousness. And that is ugly. Self-righteousness is ugly. We have to have the Holy Spirit. We know that we are dependent on him to accomplish this. Jesus said in John 3, 5, he said, I assure you and most solemnly say to you that unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot ever enter the kingdom of God. Jesus said, you have to have the Holy Spirit. You, you need him. He said, you have to be born of him, right? And then he said, it's necessary that I go so the advocate will come. So the Holy Spirit will come and fill you and go with you and do this with you. Apart from him, we can do nothing. So our reaction, our response to trials and troubles are dependent on the Holy Spirit. Our effort and our discipline to live like Christ is dependent on the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 10 through 13, it says, If Christ lives in you, though your natural body is dead because of your sin, your spirit is alive because of righteousness, which he provides, by the way. He provides the righteousness. He provides his Holy Spirit. We are just obedient. It's not that easy, but you can do it, right? We can do it. We can be obedient. We can receive his power. We can receive his guidance. We can receive his Holy Spirit. Verse 11, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, he, all, who was he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. This is our obligation as disciples of Jesus, but not to our flesh, our human nature, our worldliness, our sinful capacity, to live according to the impulses of the flesh, our nature without the Holy Spirit. <laughs> he creeps up on us, doesn't he? That old nature, it creeps up on us. But that's not who you are anymore. It's not who you are anymore. It's not who I am anymore. I have to keep my eyes on Jesus. I have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That old nature is gone. And we put it to death every day. Verse 13 for if you are living according to the impulses of the flesh, you are going to die. But if you are living by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are habitually putting to death the sinful deeds of the body and you will really live forever. So we say it is only by his spirit. Amen? 
It is only by his spirit, and we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit every day. It's not a one-time thing. It's I wake up and I'm grouchy again because I'm not a morning person, right? And just like I go get my coffee every morning, I need filled with you, Holy Spirit, every morning. I can't go out there and be light without him. Like, there's nothing in me that's light. (laughs) It's only Holy Spirit. Why are you laughing? (laughs) Because he sees me in the morning. (laughs) That's not nice. (laughs) I'm really grouchy in the morning. I'm like, don't talk to me. I need two cups of coffee before I'm human. The gifts of the Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit require the Spirit. Isn't that funny? We think of fruits and gifts and we think that we're going to do it without Him. We can't produce fruit in us apart from the Holy Spirit. We can't do, we can't do gifts apart from the Holy Spirit. It's only by Him. It's not our will. In Galatians 5, and 26, and I promise I'm closing. I never usually preach this long. Galatians 5.22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit, the result of his presence within us, is love, unselfish concern for others, joy, inner peace, patience, peace. Um, Not the ability to wait, but how we act while we're waiting. Man, the Amplified Bible, it'll get you. Yeah. It's not just waiting. It's how you act while you're waiting. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature together with its passions and appetites. Look at verse 25. If we claim to live by the Holy Spirit, we must also walk by the Spirit with personal integrity, with godly character, and with moral courage, our conduct empowered by the Holy Spirit. Our actual, natural, day-to-day living, talking, conversing, right, working, whatever we're doing through our day has to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We must not become conceited, challenging or provoking one another, envying one another. There is no other way to Christ-likeness but living in the Holy Spirit. There's no other way. There's no other way. The power and the character of Christ. Some people you know want the power of Christ, right? Without the character of Christ. And we see some people in the, in the kingdom, they want the character of Christ without the power of Christ. Guess what? You have to take both. You can't have the Holy Spirit without his power and without his character. Both of it comes when we receive him. And we have to walk in both. Right? We must purpose to walk both in the power and the character of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's one more scripture to close. I know I said that one more time. Man, sorry. I've never seen this little seven-word sentence in the Bible before. And it's in Mark 3, 14. It's really simple. It says, he wanted them to be with him. Jesus had just gathered his 12 disciples. 
And it was for the purpose of teaching them, of showing them how to do miracles, showing them how to live in the kingdom. But it was for this purpose too. He wanted them to be with him. He gathered them because he wanted to spend time with them. He wanted them as friends. He wanted them as students. He wanted them as companions to do his ministry on earth those three years. And he is talking about us in that scripture verse. He wants us as disciples, as his disciples, to be with him. And that is the only way we are ever going to become like him is when we are with him. Amen? It's when we are filled with the Holy Spirit and we have been with Jesus. The only way to reach spiritual maturity is to be with Jesus. It's the only way to transform love. It's the only way to perfect peace in a world that's falling apart. It's the only way to become the light of the world, the city on a hill, is we have been with Jesus. That's, that's it. I don't want to say it's that simple, but it's that simple. Because when we've been with somebody, we act like him, right? We're filled with his presence. So would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Spirit, we ask you to fill us again. Fill us again as we purpose in our heart to be disciplined, to take every trial, to take every temptation and use it for your glory, God. Use it for our maturity, to grow our faith, to grow our endurance, to grow our patience, to grow our love for other people. That the world would know who you are by seeing Christ in us. That we would be good stewards of both the power and the character of the Holy Spirit. I'm asking you tonight, God, to fill us again. I'm asking you tonight, God, to prepare us for the great revival that's coming. That every single person in here, in this place, in this region, all of your children, even outside of this building, other churches, other denominations, God, get your church ready. I ask for an outpouring of spiritual maturity, of Christ-likeness, of transformed love, that we would be ready when the multitudes come. That we would be ready to pour over them the love of Jesus and the power and the character of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand up with me tonight? I want to open up the altars tonight and just ask the altar ministers to come. If you are here and you need prayer for anything, maybe it's recommitment, maybe it's a filling, a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, don't leave yet until you are here joining someone with prayer. If you want to rededicate your life to Jesus, or maybe you have never asked Jesus in your heart, let me tell you that it's more than a prayer. 
It's a commitment to make him Lord of your life. That means serving him every day. That means obeying him every day. So I'm going to open up the altars right now and um, as we worship. All right. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you all. Love you.